Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark Macross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark Macross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark Macross, or CarkMacrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 30th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, is in Killarney where he will address rank-and-file Gardaí. The GRA conference has already heard some of the challenges facing members policing our streets. The Garda Representative Association is expected to call today for a dedicated armed response unit in each of the 28 Garda divisions in the country. The Northern Armed Support Unit is one of six units that exist now nationally and is split between counties Louth and Donegal. Locally, armed support services face many challenges. No doubt Charlie Flanagan would once again be asked about the ongoing feud in Drogheda. Yesterday, the minister said a small group of individuals are involved, but they are wreaking havoc. Derek O'Donoghue is a Garda based in Drogheda and the GRA representative for Louth. He joins us from Killarney this morning. Good morning to you, Garda O'Donoghue, and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Indeed, uh, you've uh, been taking stock and uh, taking a look at the amount of incidents uh, that have uh, related to this feud and uh, you estimate at this stage that there's over 70 such incidents. Tell us more, please. That's correct, uh, Michael. Uh, since last June, um, when this feud first started, uh, the figures that I was told was uh, seven, uh, 74, so far to, 74 so far to date. Uh, and like most people uh, in Drogheda, the first thing I did was uh, listen to you on Wi-Fi this morning to see if there was any incidents overnight. Like, it seems to be an ongoing trend that you turn on the radio in the morning and something 
has happened in Drogheda related to this feud. Now, as you reported over the last while, there's been uh, pipe bombs uh, found, houses petrol bombed, uh, three shootings, uh, one kidnapping. Uh, so it's it's a serious thing that has gone on and on. And uh, over the, the last two, three weeks, you've had uh, two shootings in public in the afternoon on main thoroughfares in Drogheda. Uh, is Drogheda safe? I would like to say yes. But it's it, it can be seen that there is a criminal element that seems to not fear uh, the law or have any respect for the public in Drogheda. But given that guns are being discharged in very public areas in daylight, daylight hours, uh, it's no wonder people are concerned, let alone fearful, uh, and are asking, is it safe? Town is safe, but people have to be vigilant now. The guards provide are providing the service. The ASU are working twenty four seven on regular time and overtime. There's armed support there. There was operational plans uh, put in place since last June of last year. now, all of a sudden, in the last few weeks, something has happened in the criminal world that this feud has escalated more, and uh, other resources are required from Dublin, the national units, to back up the local units here. That would be the likes of uh, uh, more members on the beat mm. for uh, foot patrols that are experienced um, the ERU attacked as additional backup to the armed response unit here in Loud the national uh, surveillance unit to follow these uh, criminals and to build up more intelligence mm-hmm. uh, and like everything else the guards need the support of the people which they have but they also need the information to be coming through to try and uh, stop things escalating any further. Mm. Now, nobody wants a situation like Limerick that took that that uh, years ago, as Frank Thornton was saying uh, on the news there yesterday, th- there was a lot of resources put into uh, Limerick years ago where they uh, targeted the criminals and they t- tried to go about... Uh, bringing the culprits before the law, but that took years. Mm. Uh, is it not as bad as Limerick was? No, I'm in Drogheda 20, 22 years. Uh, there's always been issues in Drogheda. Uh, I'm none the wiser what happened in Limerick, just growing up from what I heard mm. th- uh, through the years. Uh, th- there's not four or five gangs uh, in in Andrada that are uh, fighting. It's as far as I can gather. It's two. It's it's uh, it's it's in relation. To, it's in relation to it's in relation to drugs. Um, 
but nobody wants to see us get that far. Like no politician in Drogheda wants to see it escalate any further and intervention is needed now. Uh, they seem to have uh, fairly good access uh, to guns and other weapons. Uh, how well armed are they, do you think? I don't know. Um, you'd have to... Every guard will have to presume that uh, the people they're dealing with are armed, whether that be a firearm uh, or a knife mm. um, or have access to those weapons close by if they fear, if the criminals fear that their protection, that their lives are at risk from the, their, their rivals. Uh, so... And what does that mean in terms of uh, the health and uh, safety working conditions uh, for members of Angardi? Are, are you equipped uh, for such eventualities? Are Angardi uh, all equipped with bulletproof vests, for example? The, the vests at the minute are just over 10 years old. The, the manufacturer will say that they, um, they, they can, um, they're designed to uh, uh, withstand a shot from a normal uh, bullet. But in all fairness, I would want no, none of my members to be in a position where they're confronting, they're unarmed and they're being confronted by a person with a firearm. Now, in the last, in the last two weeks, one firearm was seized in relation to a search and then all of a sudden, on Thursday, uh, another firearm is used uh, to, uh, in, in the Harman's Gardens area of Drada, uh, nobody was expecting that. Uh, so you'd have to presume that they have access to firearms, and as we can see, they're using petrol bombs as an alternative for uh, intimidation. And p- there have been pipe bombs uh, seized and ammunition seized over the last while, as you're well aware from your news reports. But you're saying uh, that you're not happy with uh, the spec of the bulletproof vests, uh, that they're outdated? No. The bulletproof uh, the vests, no, there's a difference. There's a stab-proof vest and there's a bulletproof vest. The stab-proof vest is what your normal frontline member, unarmed, is wearing. And that won't the stop manuf- a bullet. The, the, the mm-hmm. manufacturer will say it, it, it could. Right. But as these stab vests have not been fully tested after ten years, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to have them uh, tested. So what you're saying is that you're issued with stab-proof vests and you're not issued with bulletproof vests. The only people that are issued with bulletproof vests are those that are carrying firearms. And there's just a slight. There's just a slight difference in the spec, mm. and that's. That's, that's really it. A uh, lot of people would uh, have watched uh, video footage of uh, the actual shooting as it happened on Hardman's Gardens, and they're listening to us uh, this morning. And I'm sure a lot of them will say they're glad that they weren't in the vicinity at the time. They're glad that they weren't that woman who walked by at the time uh, and wouldn't be sure if a bulletproof vest would have saved her if uh, she'd been a second slower. Uh, and they were glad that they weren't uh, the men who were working in the house at uh, the time, let alone the man uh, who came into the line of fire. What the gunman did was exceptionally dangerous. Uh, 
But would it be right to say, in your opinion, would it be right to say that this appeared to be a marksman of some sort? He, he seemed to have a very accurate shot. Michael, I'm not an expert in uh, the firearms, but from what I saw uh, on that video, that was a person just taking random shots and didn't care who was in the vicinity. The target, the there was obviously somebody targeted and there were shots discharged. I heard yesterday that they reckoned that there was eight shots discharged from the firearm in one of the reports. Uh, and from the distance that was the the shots were from, that person had no respect for any life. Uh, uh, it's just a pure fluke that probably nobody else was injured. And that's why everybody is concerned. They don't want to be in the line of fire. And I, I suppose the reality is is uh, that there's uh, more chance uh, that a member of Angarda Shia Khan could end up in the line of fire. What is morale like in Drogheda Garda Station? Uh, because you did have a, a boost in numbers coming up to Christmas with the graduates from Templemore. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk us over to what happened then. Well, what happened? It was... It was um government planned this uh, basically Operation Clean Street where uh, probationers were sent to divisional headquarters around the country rather than to their uh, stations direct from Templemore because it was coming up to Christmas. So uh, members that were coming to Loud, Cavan, Monaghan were, came straight to uh, Drogheda for six weeks. When the six weeks was up, they went to their old state, they went to their proper uh, stations then in, in um, RD, Dundalk, uh, Blaney, Carrick Macross, Baileyborough. Mm. So, now, what, the, between the flag hole where there was a heavy police presence and the, that, those recruits coming to Drogheda, the 18, that held police in Indira. Those are two occasions in the town um, that people can see what it means to have police on the beat. They were happy, they felt safe, and the people at Drogheda could see the no, they could see were, see how noticeable a police presence was just by going about their business, and they appreciated it. Uh, and how the That's atmosphere and how the atmosphere changed as a result. Oh, it did, both, mm. both within the station and, and uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure within the town as well. Mm. I remember years ago when, when I first came, the four of us came together and it was, it was uh, headlines in the paper, yeah. on the local mm. paper, mm. and that was all 22 years ago. Mm. And, and to this day, when there's new recruits coming through, people appreciate it and, and it adds to the work life and uh, social life of the town. And nearly all of the 18 uh, went elsewhere. I think three were left behind. Is that right? Th- three here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and as 15 were stepped down from Drogheda in the middle of this ongoing feud, the armed response unit was also stepped down. The, the, armed, the armed response unit have been doing patrols regular enough uh, since June. And fair use to them, they, they, they've, been, they've provided a service to the general public and to mm. the guards as a backup. It's a mixture of overtime and normal time. And they've been, and people can see them in the town. But, but if we go uh, back to February, when there was yeah. a shooting in the M1 retail park, there was just mm. one patrol car to police the entire Drogheda area. 
uh, which meant that effectively, in terms of policing a feud and all of the other crimes that might take place in a town of uh, this size, uh, it, it was abandoned. It was a town that was abandoned, was it not? It was. It was just one of those moments. Uh, one of those lapses in policing that there was a service there, but it, it was exploited by those people. But it was a, uh, in in all fairness, when mm. those uh, that incident occurred. Whether there was guards around nearby or not would appear to make no difference because it was done in a retail park mm-hmm. where you have the likes of Smiths, Woodies, uh, and others, uh, Costa and other stores that are going to be uh, doing advertising. But that is a central location mm-hmm. of a business premise. Those people went out and they just targeted whoever they did with no respect for the general yeah, public. I, I, and you could say uh, something similar about uh, the venue last week, uh, possibly yeah. even more dangerous uh, because more people in a, a confined space. Yes, uh, but I suppose the reason I'm taking you over that is uh, because uh, from your members' perspective, uh, you're obviously concerned about the pressure it puts on you, uh, the danger that it puts you in, and your ability to protect uh, the people that you're served to protect. Uh, and let's not forget uh, that it was a short time previous to that that the Minister, Charlie Flanagan, promised that there would be no shortage in resources deployed to the town when necessary. At the time of this ongoing feud, there was little or no resource available to you. Now, the Minister is back in the spotlight. Drogheda is back in the spotlight. What are you hoping to hear from the Minister today? I'm hoping to hear that he's he's going to give back into the guards and the people of Drogheda to provide uh, a service to, take, uh, service to take on these people and take it a step further. The current, the current, the current plan has to be reviewed. Extra manpower is needed, extra money is needed, uh, and then you need to bring in initiatives from uh, outside uh, organisations. A simple thing to to get uh, youngsters away from crime and drugs. Okay, well, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, You'll hear from the Minister today. We hope to hear from the Minister on the programme tomorrow. No doubt the Minister will hear from uh, the people of Drogheda on Saturday uh, when a demonstration will be held at four o'clock on West Street. But we leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed. Derek O'Donoghue is a Garda based in Drogheda and the Garda Representative Association representative for Louth. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Garda Derek O'Donoghue, who's based in Drogheda, telling us uh, before uh, the break about uh, the 74 incidents uh, that are linked uh, to the ongoing feud in Drogheda and what he hopes uh, to hear from the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, to address uh, the GRA conference in Killarney today and what he might say uh, in terms of how he hopes uh, to prevent that. Uh, increasing to 75 incidents. Let's talk uh, with Sinn Féin TD for Lau, the Imelda Munster. Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Last time we spoke to you was uh, on Friday, just after the shooting, uh, before uh, a weekend of havoc. What do you hope to hear from uh, the Minister today? Well, I mean, I've thus far, everything he said, you know, he's come out and said the criminals will face the full force of the law, but so far he hasn't delivered on that. I've raised it with us several times, as of other public representatives. Um, we got the 12 additional guards over Christmas. By mid-January, he had taken nine of them back 
and there's been little or nothing ever since. And it's escalating by the day. The weekend we saw further escalation and, you know, in my constituency office and I was out canvassing with Councillor Kenneth Flood last night, who's chair of the Joint Policing Committee, and people are really afraid. It was the main topic at the door, but they're equally angry, Mike, and you can't blame them. You know, and I, you have to say, if this wasn't happening in the minister's own town, you can bet your life there'd be no shortage of resources pulled into it. If it was happening in the Taoiseach's constituency, there'd be no shortage of resources. But even the, the incidents over the weekend, I mean, the, the chief fire officer had, had said that there was an excessive amount of petrol used in one of the attacks on the homes. Um, so it's as if they're, they're looking to have a greater, make a greater impact on it and to heighten fear all the more. Mm. And those people escaped life by literally about a minute, escaped death rather by about a minute, you know. And when you get to a stage now where we have, if you remember, going back, that first shooting happened last June or July. That was when it kicked off, but it had been going on under the radar for a couple of years where there was intimidation and the gangs were were spreading their wings across the town. It was only, and I said this to you before, it was only when the feud between the two gangs kicked off that there was any real focus on it. Before that, it was just let go, you know, carry on. And well, now it's escalated to this now, Jim. Well, I suppose that's the way it is in a, a lot of places, and uh, it really only becomes uh, an issue for the rest of us because we're oblivious to it when this type of uh, thing kicks off. Well, I mean, I as a public rep wouldn't have been oblivious to it because, um, pe- you know, people would come to you um, and contact you about sure. it. But it was, it was happening for sure, and that was... Uh, no, but I mean, as we go about our daily lives, I think it's probably the way that it should be, that um, because you're not involved in it uh, and because uh, you're not aware of it, uh, that you have what might be a false sense of security, but you feel secure in going about your business. Well, if, if, yeah, because it doesn't direct, affect you directly, yeah. you know, but mm. it's only when you have shootings and petrol bombs and intimidation and... And you're worried about going around to the shop to pick up a local newspaper in case you get shot in the head. As I said, that was the topic at the doors last night, you know, and you could sense the anger that they're saying, like, why are we not getting the resources? And I listened to um, what the Minister had said uh, yesterday again, and it's the same spiel he gave the last time, and he needs to cop himself on. Mm. We need to get the resources. And even I read somewhere about... um, the delay in providing um, the the kind of armed duty officers, a delay of six, a long training process, that there would be a delay of six to eight. Did you ever hear such rubbish in your life? Well, there was going to be no delay in December when Charlie Flanagan exactly, was yeah, visiting Drogheda Garda Station. Oh, we, and he was we haven't got trained units the length and breadth of the state to deal with this. We have. We know we have because they were brought into parts of Dublin and they're brought into parts of Limerick. And the minister would want to get off his high horse and get those same resources into this town. And he'd want to do it now. Well, he promised every resource necessary to tackle the problem in December. And then the new recruits went elsewhere and the armed response unit was stood down. Yes, when I challenged him... um, towards the end of January, about giving us 12 over the Christmas and then pulling nine of them back out, 
you know, he was, oh, we, Drogheda will have its adequate resources. This bull that he comes out with, you know, we need that additional resources. We need more mm. increase in the budget provision. Imagine there's been, through all of this, and they've watched, they've watched the minister and the Garda Commissioner have watched it escalating, and n- neither have seen fit to give an increase in the budget provision. The overtime ban, I mean, it just couldn't get any more mm. ludicrous. And then you have these thugs gone out on the street, confident that they can stand in the middle of a road and open, you know, open fire indiscriminately on people in an area that's completely congested with traffic, footfall, residential shops, and get away, make good their getaway with confidence. Mm. No wonder they, they're as confident as they are. No wonder they're as, you know, balchy as they are, because because they know that Drahat is starved of resources. And the government... Look, at I'm, I'm trying to keep cool here because I'm just so angry. You know, those things that happened over the weekend, it was for the grace of God that people weren't killed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Minister Flanagan is sitting there, you know, waiting for an innocent passerby to be killed. Is that, is that what it's going to take? But it's, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. That's the, guard, the guard's job is to protect the people. And we have no protection. In Drogheda. Do you we think have no protection and everybody mm. wants to see these people put behind bars, apprehended. And there's no excuse. If we get the resources, you can carry out twenty four hour surveillance, you can carry out home raids, you can mm. carry you know, phone confiscation, tail them morning, noon and night till it becomes impossible and at the same time gather your evidence. Mm. Uh, do you uh, think he knows what's going on? Of course he knows what's going on. I think just thus far, he's just, you know, dismissive of the whole thing. But the only thing is with the conference. Why, though? Um, I mean, Charlie Flanagan's, a, he's not a bad person, you know. He, well, you, he's not just you going to dismiss. Honestly, yeah. if this was happening in his town. In Port Leash. Do you, do you honest, can you honestly say, because I don't believe for one minute that the resources wouldn't have been brought in six months ago and wouldn't have stayed there till the job was done. Mm. So uh, how I, much does he care? Well, so it's just that he doesn't care. There's no votes in it for him in leash. Is that what it is? I don't know. Look, at, it's not. This is nothing. No, I'm just trying it. to understand. Like, yeah, I, look, at, I just mm-hmm. think it's a. You know, they get so used to sometimes government ministers when they stand up when they're questioned. Mm. You know, to say this is a matter for the such and such, or this yeah. is a matter, or I'm confident that they have adequate resources. You know, and just totally turning a blind eye to something. But the hope is now at this stage that he can no longer turn a blind eye to it because, you know, that is the question to ask him. Is he waiting till some innocent passerby gets shot mm. before he gets up off well, the backside? Well, it's been as close as it possibly the budget, could be. He holds be. The, the purse strings. You know, if he was to instruct the Garda Commissioner tomorrow and say, I want X, Y and Z deployed, mm. I want it there till the matter's resolved, let me know what else you need. That's all it would take. Mm. That's all it would take. And the people of Drogheda shouldn't be afraid to open their doors, shouldn't be afraid to go down the shop, shouldn't be afraid when their teenager goes out in case they get caught up in something or in case they, you know, they're attacked or anything else. It shouldn't happen. Right. Uh, the minister said yes, a small group of individuals, all of the resources are in place. Uh, there's covert and overt uh, investigations taking place and uh, that this will be brought to an end soon. Have you confidence in those statements? No, no, 
because there's been no meaningful additional resources given. And it's as if, you know, the cheek of him even coming out with that. You had the the superintendent on your show there on Friday, mm. and he as much as said the opposite. That chap that was on there um, a few minutes Donahue, ago, yes, yeah, he's more or less said the opposite. The Guardi meeting today are saying the complete opposite. So he's just making an idiot out of himself at this stage coming out with that when everybody knows that it's the complete opposite of, what, of what's okay. happening. Well, we'll you hear. know, had we got the resources six months ago, we could have been a hell of a lot further down the road with these ga- tackling these gangs at this stage. Well, we'll hear what Minister Flanagan has to say to the GRA and Clarny later, and hopefully he'll have uh, the time to join us uh, today or tomorrow because he didn't have the time to join us today on the programme. But thank you for taking the time to be with us. That's Sinn Féin TD in Louth, Imelda Munster. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In between now and polling day, we hope to speak to the 17 candidates who are standing in this constituency to be elected to the European Parliament. In all, there's four seats available in the Midlands North West constituency. And earlier today, I spoke with independent candidate Peter Casey who told me why he's decided to run. Um, Michael, I was doing a tour of schools uh, in Donegal there just uh, in September and I was giving them a talk on uh, how to prepare and present themselves at interview because that's the, the business that I ran previously was a, an executive search firm you know, and we were interviewing people globally. <laughs> and I, was exp- you know, I said, so just before we start... Uh, folks, how many people in the room, just a little bit of research, will be leaving Donegal after you, uh, you know, get your leaving cert? And every hand in the room went up. And uh, I said, well, how many do you see yourselves back in Donegal mm. in, say, 10 years' time? And about three hands went up. And I think that was probably a pivotal moment for me. You know, I, I thought, this, we just need to do something. Uh, it's... That 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 situation, I think, is being reflected is uh, would be, you know, probably similar to a lot of other places in rural Ireland, not just Donegal, but you know, Donegal is probably that one of the hardest hit. You know, we're mm. we're fairly remote up here and in it's shown. And I, I, I suppose to some degree, you were probably trying to prove to yourself uh, what you felt you already knew uh, but if they're leaving Donegal where is it that they're going to is it uh, to Dublin or Cork or is it abroad well it used to be Dublin uh, and the UK and now of course the, the UK option is looking sort of more challenging uh, Dublin has become just so expensive uh, and I, these are things that I, I obviously know firsthand because I've, I've got a son studying medicine in Dublin you know and you know he's paying just under 2000 a month for a very average two-bedroom apartment in Dublin, you know, and it's just, you know, it's, then when I got involved in talking to some of his friends, and most of them actually don't and can't afford accommodation, you know, and mm-hmm. they have to stay with their parents. So a lot of them are commuting long distances in Dublin. So it's, it's we do have a, a housing problem in Dublin, uh, but that's in having a spill-on effect, Michael, over mm-hmm. to rural Ireland, you know, and it, it's, you know, I mean, you can get yourself a four-bedroom apartment in Letterkenny or Sligo for 500 a euro a month. But people know. are choosing to leave, uh, and when these young children that you're speaking to today leave, uh, I gather from what you're saying, given the expense of living in Dublin and so on, that many of them will choose to go overseas. They will go to, yeah, and that, that was 
that that was something that just that obviously it's affected me personally. So I think you tend to think about notice, Michael, when things affect you personally. Yeah, but uh, I, I just thought you. Know, mm. I was talking to the headmaster, um, here Dunn at uh, Moville here, and he said, "Yeah, he said it's he said it's just it's our our biggest our biggest tragedy." He said we're losing all our our young people. Well, I suppose emigration has always been part of uh, Irish culture uh, as such, uh, but you believe immigration uh, is fueling emigration to some degree and that there's too many people coming into this country. You've been talking about some of uh, the people who come here seeking uh, asylum and that those who are genuine should stay, but those who are not should be deported. Yeah, I mean, we cannot afford to look after the world's poor people you know it would be nice if we could uh, but unfortunately we're a very small country i mean we have an international responsibility to take our fair allocation of um, you know people who are in tragic refugee situations or in war-torn areas and uh, it's right and appropriate that we should take our fair share of those people how many people would you be talking about deporting uh, no well we should take the people who are legal you know, mm. and we said we'll take our allocation, and we should take sure, our allocation. Yeah. And but, we, but there is a process that they go through. I mean, at the moment, there's yeah. four thousand three hundred and sixty people in direct provision. Uh, there was uh, three. Actually? There was, but well, I yeah. think that's in around the figure. There were three and a half thousand people who sought asylum in this country yeah. in the course of uh, the last year. It's a ten-year high in terms of uh, the number of asylum seekers. But uh, of those, many of them, do you believe, are freeloaders? Um, well, if you look at the numbers that actually got accepted as genuine uh, refugees last year, and the process is just absolutely ridiculous. The way it it should not take you, uh, you know, years and years to to find out if a person is a genuine refugee, a genuine uh, fr- a person from you know from a war torn area, and it should take a matter of minutes, not years and years. And we okay, so if you were to deal with this in a matter of minutes, how many, uh, I'm not sure if uh, you have a different figure, but let's say 4,500 people are in direct provision, how many of them would you expect to deport? Well, I believe that uh, the, the, last year the, the, the less than 20% of the ones that were in direct provision were granted. So I think the, your number of 20, 25%. Now, on the other side of the coin, we're not taking our appropriate allocation mm. of refugees, uh, you know, so we should be taking more of the genuine refugees, uh, but, and I'm in favour of, you know, we've got an international obligation, international commitment, we should stand by what we've committed to. Yes, and, but, you, uh, but, but you would yeah. deport thousands of people, uh, three, four thousand people in a matter of minutes. Uh, no, not minutes. Well, I think we you said it would take. A, it should only take a few probably, minutes to yeah, sort it out. I mean, it, it doesn't take them long to get self-organized and get on a plane. But it's, it's wrong that they should be here for years and years, mm. and we can't afford it, and they shouldn't be here. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with uh, saying, you know, sorry, but you know, if you want to come here legally then go out and apply properly. And what about the 30,000, 50,000, whatever uh, number it is, who are living illegally in America? Should they be deported? Uh, If you're living illegally, you know, now America is a little bit of a different situation, as you are well aware. They don't give benefits and they don't, you know, so it's not as if they provide the illegals with uh, Mm. uh, housing, you know. So, you know, there's a... So so they should accept illegals living in America, Uh, is it? America is a big difference between America and Ireland. America is the richest country in the world. 
and they can afford to actually and they can afford mm. to, to, to be more generous okay. whereas we unfortunately uh, are not in that. That, that, that sounds a little bit like Peter Casey saying to Donald Trump do as I say not as I do well if I could if, I could, if we could afford and we had the infrastructure here to support them and we mm. had the ability to uh, make sure that they were looked after properly then I would be in favour of bringing you know more people mm. in but we can't I think Donald yeah. Trump would say something similar uh, do, uh, presidential uh, campaign I, I the, the presidential actually. campaign led to a lot of criticism of uh, Peter Casey because of comments you made in relation uh, to uh, another minority the traveller community uh, are you concerned that when you express your feelings about subjects like this that it, it can result in racist attacks let's say the uh, three teenagers in Waterford who were attacked uh, by acid uh, last week or the taxi driver who was very viciously assaulted on the Malahide Road uh, now taxi drivers are being urged to report racism to Gardaí or what are you referring to in terms of racism? Uh, well you give people the impression that there are other people coming to this country seeking asylum. They're freeloaders, and that they shouldn't be here. Shouldn't uh, and, be that, and that instills, and that That's instills hatred. Not. It's called racism. It's not. It's not. It's called they shouldn't be here. It's not. I don't have any any racist uh, sentiments at all. And you know, and it's just wrong for you to suggest that I have. I I employ people of all different ethnic or uh, status. Uh, so, and I think racism is absolutely wrong. On the other hand, uh, you know, there is something uh, beautiful about Ireland, Brand Ireland. We have to maintain and protect Brand Ireland, and. Uh, we can't be overrun by people who are here illegally. So, you know, that's not racism. If they want to come here, get in the queue, apply pro- appropriately. And we do have, mm. uh, we've got, we've got 535,000 people uh, living who've come to Ireland legally, called Ireland their home, and they're integrating fabulously into society and we're much better off because of that and we have a skills shortage uh, and it's absolutely you know wrong that you know we don't bring in the people that have got the skills that we need because our businesses are suffering because of that hmm. and uh, okay. know, the government has this policy where you have to have 50% of your employees have to be EU nationals but you know that means that we're eliminating people from India, from uh, America, Australia, New Zealand coming here if the company can't meet the 50% EU quota. I think that's wrong. That's racist policy on the part of the government. You know, they're distinguishing different nationalities, uh, one over the other. Okay. We should uh, look at skills. Are, skills are you referring to the freedom of movement of people across the European Union, one of the five pillars of the European Union uh, in which Ireland you want to be a, a, a representative up. in its parliament? Ireland signed up for it and said that we would enforce the 50-50. 50% of employees of the company have to be members of the EU. There's a lot of the companies, uh, countries in Europe have not signed up for that. And as a result of that, we were trying to bring an Indian company over to Ireland to set up a centre of excellence here, and we couldn't get the company, uh, we, they, they couldn't set up here uh, in, in the numbers that they wanted because they couldn't get visas for the workers to come over from India to help train the Irish workers. 
mean, that is just wrong. And that's, you know, just an example of the silliness of the government policy. Okay, we are almost out of time. Uh, I'm not sure how much uh, of this you can impact on if you are elected to the European Parliament, uh, particularly the number of people who are seeking asylum in this country and uh, as to whether they uh, should be here or or not. Uh, That's a a matter for the national legislature, is it not? Well, Michael, the thing is, Michael, when you're in the European Parliament, you have a platform in which you can actually influence. I mean, we only have 11 MEPs out of 751. So it's not as if we can you know, change things dramatically in Europe. Yes, we can influence. And it gives you a platform, you know. It gives you a platform in which you can actually air uh, positions that will perhaps influence the greater number of people that can make a difference. And that's that's all as an Irish MEP you can do because, you know, as I say, there's only 11 out of 751. So it's not as if we're, we're, we, we can actually really turn around and have a major impact on the EU policy. But we can influence the influencers and we can influence the people who actually have got the ability to, to and who are making the decisions that impact the people and the lives of the people in Ireland. Independent candidate uh, for the European Parliament, Peter Casey, speaking to me before we came on air today. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties are selecting which candidates to put forward, while independents and other Others are being selected to participate through draws. Today, we'll hear from four candidates in the Drogheda rural area, each of whom will hope to take one of the four available seats. After the break, we'll debate the issues with Declan Power of Fianna Fáil, Michelle Hall of Labour, Eamon Sweeney of Renewa and Jeff Rudd of United People. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as I said, uh, the four candidates uh, with us uh, today are contesting uh, the seats in uh, the Drogheda rural electoral area. This uh, is uh, a new area in that uh, Drogheda's 10 seats have been broken down and uh, there's now Drogheda urban and uh, Drogheda rural. There's just four seats available in this particular area and we have four candidates with us. Declan Power of Fianna Fáil, Michelle Hall of uh, the Labour Party, Eamon Sweet of Renua and Jeff Rudd of United People. Uh, some of you may know some of uh, the candidates, but not all of the candidates will be known to all of our listeners because none of them have uh, been uh, elected uh, to any office, as I am aware, at this stage. Uh, so you're all very welcome, all first-time candidates, uh, bar Jeff Rudd, uh, you've stood before. Uh, and perhaps, uh, Jeff, as uh, uh, you're... Uh, somebody who has stood before, you'd uh, begin by introducing yourself. We'll ask everybody to do this in a a minute. Just briefly, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you've decided to run for election. Okay, my name is Jeff Rudd. I am the founder and current leader of United People, a political party late founded in 2015. Uh, I draw the citizen, worked as a barman for 20 years for moving on to re-educate myself in many things, including uh, accountancy, business management, company law. Uh, I'm a qualified IT teacher, uh, currently starting up my own business in the town, uh, but the business itself is for Drogheda and beyond it. 
I've decided to run for election because there is a number of local and national issues. Uh, many of them are interconnected that I'd like to try raising and also try heading off incoming issues that's also going to be on the Irish political agenda for the next couple of months and okay. years. All right, and we'll tease out some of those issues uh, over the course of uh, the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Eamon Sweeney, you're standing for Renewa Ireland. Why so? Well, Michael, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a new party. It was formed in uh, 2015. I think it has a lot to offer. Um, some people may not be aware of, of how significant we are, but we are low in the polls at the moment, but we, we hope that will change. And we, we feel confident that when people look at our policies and take a look at what we stand for, they, they, they'll return the vote to us. Okay. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Michelle Hall, uh, why the Labour Party and why are, are you personally putting your name forward? Um, the... I joined the Labour Party actually recently um, following the success of the and the leadership that they showed through the same-sex marriage referendum, the repeal the gate amendment to the constitution and also getting Michael President E. Higgins re-elected and um, I was part of that canvas and um, also with the repeal the gate I was a, a strong voice in that. Um, all the results were resounding yes and I feel that the, the Labour Party we have the majority values, even though we're not the largest party, but the majority of people believe in our values. So I believe in those values. And as you say, there's a new um, electoral district and that's Drogheda mm-hmm. World. And when I heard that there was going to be no candidate running, um, I was kind of going, well, who am I going to vote for that has encompasses those values? So um, while I'm a very busy person, I work in, in Educate Together School as a special needs assistant. I'm doing an early childhood degree. I've got three school-going children. I still put my name forward because I feel very strong that we should have a Labour representative because um, I do believe a lot of people uh, value our values. OK, Declan, I, I suppose uh, it's true to say that uh, Drada was at one time a, a Fianna Fáil stronghold. Uh, it's struggled a, a, in recent years. Uh, why you? Why now? Why Fianna Fáil? Yeah, um, Michael, I've always been a, a community activist and um, I would have worked with the GA for, for over 20 years and um, you can't get any more community than, than, the, the, than the GA. Um, I suppose during that time, I would have, uh, well, my roles were very, uh, the objectives were very simple, uh, increasing participation, uh, you know, playing standards, coach education. I always found myself involved in, in areas of social and economic uh, disadvantage. Um, would have created a lot of programs to try to 
uh, combine, uh, you know, the, the coaching development and um, and uh, would have introduced programs to counteract, uh, fa- you know, families with issues with alcohol and drug abuse um, uh, and that type of thing. So mm. uh, me, that's 20 years, changed careers, moved to, I've been living in Drada for nearly 21 years, nine years in Head, 12 in Drogheda. But my, my profile as manager of the Barbican Centre in Drogheda, I get a lot of issues, a lot of concerns on my doorstep. Um, work with lots of charity partners in the town like the Drada Homeless say the Alzheimer's Society and uh, and and so sad and I've done a lot of work around mental health awareness um, and why, I, I why, think that why, is one of the fall? main issues that you're putting forward sorry you wanted to talk about yeah. Fianna Fáil yeah. and, and, and Fianna Fáil um, there's a little bit of Fianna Fáil uh, blood in, in, in my own family mm-hmm. um, but um yeah, I, I mean, of all, for me to get involved in in, uh, in local politics, this for me was the right time, and Fianna Fáil was absolutely the right party for me as well. And getting elected to, to local office uh, as a, a councillor, if you are to be elected, you'll deal with a lot of issues like planning or uh, some of uh, the issues relating uh, to how money has been spent and roads and different projects uh, like that. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, how do you hope to uh, bring your experience uh, in issues like mental health uh, awareness? Because I think that's the top issue that you have listed uh, it, into play as a, a councillor. It is. It's um, like mental health awareness. It, it affects so many people, so many families. Um, that there was a, a stat that reached, I think, that that Loud has the highest suicide rates in the, in the country, and um, awareness that I've that I've done with uh, with likes of Sosat, who do tremendous work uh, as an on the doorstep mm. program, and um, so we've raised lots lots of funds for them, um, and a, a great organisation, and, and, yeah. and everything mm. that they provide is absolutely free of charge, mm. and I know that I think it's May the eleventh. We've got the, the darkness into light. Uh, for Pieta House, a fantastic organisation who do exactly the same amount of work. There'll be thousands of people getting going out in that event. And you know the one thing about that event, uh, what I've great respect for, and I'll be involved in it myself, uh, my wife, my two children will be, will be involved in that, is the fact that all that money, it leaves the county, it leaves loud, it doesn't stay on our doorsteps. And uh, that to me is, is, is a, bit of a, a bit of an issue. And, um, but... Uh, but but we continue to raise funds for for SOSAD. and even if I'm just mm. creating, even if I'm just raising funds, um, it means that on a month by month basis, the doors of SOSAD stay open, and the people who require the services get the services required. And um, and 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 Very so good, to, but, this weekend, but what, what, we're what's, raising, that, what, we're what's, what's that got to do with the role of a councillor? I suppose that's the question. It's um, it's just one of those. It's just one of those. They're, 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 look, everybody's got many different issues and concerns, and um, the role of a councillor is for me supporting. Uh, a fantastic organisation uh, like like that group, and we've got others as well mm. that, um, that that provide a same amount of uh, of support. Um, I just think it's for me. It was always going to be part of my mandate, and and as I've got around and knocking on doors and on doorsteps, there are other issues that are that are that are cropping up the whole time, like the uh, the lack of footpaths, the the crumbling roads, the mm. the, the, the potholes. Um, I got talking to a family there there recently where there was a, there was a death in the family. Um, not too far from Termin Fecken, and they had to fill in the potholes themselves because no local councillor 
would uh, would 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 work with them in order to deal with something that was it was an emergency and nobody dealt with it. And for me, I think if you're going to be a representative for uh, for the for the electorate, no, no, you've no, got to no. you've we'll, got to we'll, do we'll, it. We'll take that with a grain. Of you've salt. got to. Do it. I'm you've sure. I'll take we'll take that with a grain of salt, Declan. I'm not sure that some of the incumbents would agree with that. But let's go to Michelle Hall. You've been uh, looking at rural transport uh, and uh, this is uh, uh, your top issue uh, I think uh, and you've been working uh, on transport links to some degree. Yeah and I've been very successful Um, I suppose this is one of the other reasons why I actually started politics. I saw there's such a huge gap for services for people living in localities like Termafec and Clarehead Baltray and beyond actually and how we're very isolated Um, we were spending a fortune on petrol bringing our kids in and out of town my daughter works in Brownhead bakery mm. so uh, she works at the weekend we can't get her in on time on the buses so we have to bring her in ourselves so w- the first thing on my agenda was to get a proper bus service running from Drogheda to Clarehead and I campaigned um, I petitioned from door to door I cut about 1200 signatures both mm. online and from door to door I did um People were very kind of negative that have been living in the air for a long time so they'll never give us anything. And I was like, well, they have to because the place has changed so much. We're not just a rural area. We're actually Drogheda or Termfec and Clarehead are small town settlements now. So they're almost urbanised. So we actually need the connections for people to get to jobs, to um, get to work, to get to medical services. People out in Drogheda were paying taxis on a Sunday to get to Sunhill Nursing Home Mm -hmm. to see their loved ones. And that's just not acceptable. So it was really successful. I wrote a very... um, compelling letter to the National Transport Authority Mm. explaining all of our circumstances and they came back and they said yeah that's fine we're going to secure the commitment to give you earlier buses they, so people they, they accepted that the demand was there for a demand led yeah, service they, they couldn't. Uh, and Not, that's what and won the what? case though wasn't well, it but you're mm-hmm. looking at like mm-hmm. places like Leytown where mm-hmm. they have 29 buses a day coming into Drogheda we have four buses on a Saturday we have no buses on a Sunday or public holiday they have 15 so they have a bus every half hour we have one every three hours and yet we are not um, we're quite a big population <coughs> as well so we are mm-hmm. um, so they are argument was very much gone like we're being neglected and they couldn't ignore that Mm. so they've actually not only have they put in as I say earlier and later buses for people to get to work and back from work they've also put in um, Sunday and public holidays we never even had a bus on those days but they've also extended the bus route now up to Dundalk through the coastal villages through Grange Value and Anagassan and Black Rock so it's a huge Mm. success for people that really affected them, impacted them hugely, both financially and, um, you and know, their I well-being. Take it you're suggesting to people that because you were able to achieve that uh, yeah. without being in office, uh, that you could do a lot. Uh, yeah, and as I say, right. like okay. I have mm-hmm. a very busy lifestyle at the moment. I'm doing okay. a degree part time as well. Okay. So that's really with a mandate. So. I'm, uh, yeah. you're, I'm you're, you're full of energy. <laughs> Eamon Sweeney, you're interested in driving uh, and some of uh, the problems motorists face. Yeah, well, what we're finding on the doorsteps, Michael, is I, I'm just knocking on a lot of doors and it's, it's hard work, but I find it very, very worthwhile. I find people are very warm, very receptive uh, and very interested in talking to me about, about what, what's happening. Um, very plain, ordinary things like like footpaths, like potholes in the road, grid, the, the gridding of the roads um, with grist during the winter mm. time. Speeding is a huge thing that has come up around the Ballymichenny area in particular. Um, traffic on, on the Cartown Road there, a number of residents there are concerned about the speeding on that particular road and um, very worried about that, 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 you know, an accident could happen. So that's what's coming across to me. Um, a lot of other things as well, but, but generally mm. speeding, gritting of the roads, 
potholes, the old chestnuts, really. Mm-hmm. still there. And why do you think you'd be able to bring about a, a positive influence on those issues where others have failed? Well, well, well Michael, I, I see the role of a county councillor maybe different from what other people see it. I, I see it as, as, as a person who is a facilitator, who, 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 who represents his constituents, their concerns, mm. their, their worries, and is a bridge between the community and the county council. And I, I really see that that's what the, he or she represents his community in that way. And as the issues come up, deals with them, is available, approachable, and, and does his best for his community, given the opportunity. It's a great honour. To be elected as a county councillor is a great honour, and you really owe it to the people who vote for you to respect that vote, they put their trust in you. OK, Jeff Rudd, uh, you've uh, a lot of issues uh, that uh, you'll hope people will vote for you on uh, but one of uh, the issues uh, that you brought forward is never far from the news uh, these days and that's the ongoing gangland feud mm-hmm. in Drogheda which of course extends out past Drogheda and indeed I think there's been a lot of problems in the area that we're talking about now. Uh, what would you suggest in terms well, of tackling that as a, a councillor? First of all I have to say that I was actually there on the day last Thursday when the, the bullets started flying to be honest and I was just, my breath was taken away. At first I thought it was car bangs and the next thing I continued and I, I saw where I saw. It's just unreal. I mean, I, I did a TV3 interview later that night, a Virgin Tree interview. And I'll say what I, I'll say now what I said then. It, this is Drawda. Drawda has a long historic history and I want my town, Drawda, to be remembered for that, not for the brief madness of a bunch of tugs. And I'll say publicly, that's what they are, tugs. Uh, a few days later, after the man that actually did the shooting, was seen bold as brass walking around the streets of Drada, entering a, pre- a premises near to the actually where the shooting took place, and he's still out there walking around. Okay, please don't say uh, anything to identify anybody. No problem. Please. No problem. I wouldn't do that anyway. Uh, when the, the the guys and to a certain extent some of the females that are in these gangs, they were that, that turned up later on after soon after the shooting to check on their the colleagues. They're in there, and they, for them, it's hard to get out. So that needs to be addressed, how to get them out. But there, there's a bigger issue also. The ones that are come along behind them, the youth of the day that are not into clubs or sports or whatever, we need to get them into other organisations, other activities, so they're not drawn into these uh, illegal activities or borderline mm. uh, situations. This is how other countries and how they tackled it down in Limerick, how they actually tackled it. They, they, they worked on both sides, those in the gangs and those not in them yet. And we need to start doing that in Drawda. Now, it does take draw, it does take guard resources to do that, but it also uh, it's the responsibility of community leaders to do that or others to step up and also try and do that. The likes of our sports clubs from the GAA, I'm glad uh, our fellow mm-hmm. gentleman here mentioned that. The likes of, I can mention one great man in Drawda that doesn't get much recognition, a chap called Philip Nulty. Uh, he runs the Drawda School of Karate. He's a great man. I have to give him credit. He has, over the decades, uh, really turned uh, people around, instilled a form of discipline, respect and all that. And it's the Gardaí can do that to some extent but mm. also the community leaders us us three or four people sitting around this table yeah, can also do that well, Let's talk to Declan because you're uh, heavily involved in the GAA yeah. you said uh, and I mean I think uh, Jeff probably makes an interesting point in terms of young people who are attracted to sport and healthy activities yeah. uh, whether that's GAA or karate as the case yeah. may be and those who aren't uh, do you identify problems uh, with those who aren't? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, in in my time in working in, in areas like like Coolock and Finglas, who are who are often in the media for all the wrong reasons as well, um, having that that GA club on your doorstep, but it's never it was never for me. It was never about. I look, it was it was always yeah. great to have good players going through a, a club, but it was always about developing life skills and um, and. Uh, and given self-esteem and confidence and those kids coming from difficult families. But it's always about programs that I would have organised were um, educational programs. You have the sport, but now you have the education. You're, you're, you're hoping that they'll finish second-level education and break a generational gap of moving on to third-level education. And that, you know, if you ask, if ever asked a young fella when I worked in Finger, say, you know, where would mum or dad get, get, uh, get the money? It was always that. It was the, 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 the social welfare payments, just breaking that stigma was was very very important and um, so you're encouraging kids to finish their education move on to third level and and, and moving on to on, on to on to jobs you know mm. and what else yeah and um, you know for those who don't yeah because with um, because with those those kids that I would have worked for for, for a mm. long time coming just I mean, that, that's alright you're, 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 you're talking about where there isn't a problem what, what about the kids that aren't uh, attracted uh, to the GAA or the yeah, karate or to the jobs it's, it's, it's or third level or whatever sports, um, uh, uh, how as you, a community you, because this is local authority yeah. this is local government uh, this is uh, the first tier of building a society how do we yeah. keep young people on the straight and narrow yeah and I see the, the likes of the not too far away from where I work the Boomerang Cafe who do tremendous amount of work as well and it's uh, it's not just sport there it's um, it's uh, it's, it's it's, it's education, it's, it's mm. music, it's a, it's a place to hang out, uh, lots of youth cafes. Mm. Um, but we still have I'd, all these I'd problems. Love to, I'd love to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eamon, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, Michael, I, I have a long involvement with, with, with organisations down through the years. I started off many years ago with Mocklinet Hua. I don't know whether you would be familiar with that organisation. It's, it's a young person's organisation. Then I graduated on to Mocklinet Farmer. And, of course, I mean, that's a great rural organisation for, mm. for, for young people in the rural areas. Marking a firm, I would highly recommend to any 17-year-old they really should consider joining Marking a firm. It's open to farmers and non-farmers, and, and it's really very worthwhile. But, I mean, if you look around, there are quite a lot of organisations that are available to people. It's just a matter of being aware mm. of them, being encouraged. And I think the older people need to bring the young, younger people on and encourage them to join these organisations yeah. because they will get back. Can you get weed there? Pardon? Can you get weed yeah, there? That's the you most know? important. I mean, what do you do for a buzz? Well, look, I mean, you, you ha- you, we are living in a society that has changed dramatically mm. in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah. It's unrecognisable in many mm. ways. So we're dealing effectively with what is a new society. Well, it, but, it, it but, is recognisable uh, to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, but but the older people who are and not so old, yeah. who are very sensible and who are who are talking, who about, are tra- who are talking about traditional organisations, do you yeah, well, couple mo- yourself with those? Well, most organisations that I've had any, any dealing with, mm. um, I, I'm a member of St Vincent de Paul as well. And I mean, there's, there's huge amount of work that can be mm. done for young people who join St Vincent de Paul, and quite a number of young people are in St Vincent de Paul. Very quite a number. I mean, you go into the estates or, or, or you go up uh, to the west of Dublin, uh, where a lot of people have uh, moved from into this particular part of the world, uh, and it's the drugs, it's the buzz, it's whatever <laughs> else, the danger that. Uh, people are getting off on. These things are well, not relevant yeah. and will not be relevant to well, them. Michael, You're not going to attract them into... I've been present on, on the outskirts of Drogheda here, which is, is in the rural area. Mm. I mean, Forest Grange, Town Abbey, mm. Mm. Uh, Madison Lodge, various different states on, on the boundaries of Drogheda, mm. which are in our rural area. 
And I've met so many nice people in there, people who are leading very, very good lives. Okay. Who are, who, 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 are are afraid, very, who are afraid to go to the shop. Yeah, yeah but I mean, OK, we have a situation in Garda <coughs> at the moment. And to be fair, I, I think the big answer with that is more Gardaí, mm. more specialised Gardaí who are able to deal with the situation. But I would put another angle on that as well. I think the community needs to work very closely in liaison with the guard, with the ah, guard. Yeah, I think yeah, that's very important. I think that's very important, though, because hey, do, there do, is a link between the two, Michelle, between the guard and the and the community. Michelle, do you think uh, there'd be less of uh, this type of problem uh, that the problem would be reduced if we were to legalise drugs? Um, legalise drugs to a certain extent, I suppose, because we're looking at. Um, using a punitive measure when people have addictions, whereas we really should be looking at a rehab, um, you know, reforming them, mm. giving them the supports that they need. I'd be very much from coming from no matter um, what aspect that you're talking about, whether it's crime or drugs, that, that looking at early intervention, like this is what I'm doing at the moment, it's an early childhood degree. And we all know now that from the zero to six is the most important and crucial time of a child's life. When the child is born, those first three years actually shape their brain um, and it actually shapes their whole destiny, mm. their mental health. And we need to support parents who are struggling. We need um, progressive universalism, which is uh, universal supports for all parents, not just people in dire needs. But I think all parents find it really difficult uh, bringing up children mm. nowadays. And I think we need supports from a very young age, whether that's... Um, you know what, there's a great place up in Uri that I think is fabulous called Sticky Fingers. It's an art cafe for parents to bring their children from zero to 12 years of age. And art has been shown and cultural activities have been shown to like really improve the well-being of a child and really impact them lifelong. Um, I think for the teenagers as well, we need to have, like, ask the children what do they want? Ask the teenagers what do they need? Mine, my own teenagers fall, fell out of all... Uh, physical activities um, I'm very lucky one of my sons goes to the Beamaran Cafe there was a great uh, games workshop place run there on a Friday evening very cheap and it keeps him on the uh, you know places okay. but I think we need teenage spaces for them to hang out with Wi-Fi public mm. lighting uh, South County Dublin are actually doing that at the moment okay. have a lot of funding for teenage spaces and I think we need to look uh, at and more different teenagers ideas. will want different things Jeff exactly. Rod, what, what, what if the teenagers want a bit of weed <laughs> if they want <laughs> to take well, drugs. Uh, I mean, should we look at legalising or decriminalising the usage of drugs? And part of the question is that if you do that, of course, you take away the product uh, because uh, the gangs believe that they're in business yeah. and the product is the drugs. If you take away the product, well, then there's nothing to be feuding if, about. If I can backtrack, mm -hmm. I will come to that, but if I can backtrack just a little bit. One further thing that we also need to do is and I've seen it there, and I'm sure my fellow colleagues here around the table will admit this as well. The fear of Gardaí has been lost. I've seen the tugs face to face with the Gardaí after the shooting that was in Harmon's Gardens, and they had no fear of the Gardaí whatsoever. We need to find a way to, and it, it is needed, we need to find a way to instill a fear of Gardaí into these people that are doing these crimes. They're bold as brass, and they don't give it. Watch my words, I apologise. But. They, there was always, up to the last couple of decades, a form of respect by a hell of a lot more people towards our Gardaí. Mm -hmm. Now they just, the, the tugs of this town and beyond are just facing them and there's nothing there. And they, they're allowed to continue on because they know, they, I mean, unless the Gardaí can pin them with solid evidence, they're just, they're just it's unreal. Uh, as regards to the drugs question, 
I don't believe drugs should be allowed below a certain age and we have to have some sort of open discussion as regards what that age should be. Some drugs do need to be legalised and I do believe that will reduce the problem Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. But what's also needed is further education to the people to the students in their classes, in second year especially, we have a prime opportunity when they're sitting there to discuss these issues and further inform of the pros and cons of taking drugs. That should be more uh, advanced. Uh, and as okay. a qualified teacher, I mean, and uh, one of my fellow colleagues here is a teacher as well, uh, we have the skills to do that and the minds are open at that stage. Why not take advantage of this period in our life and further inform them of the pros and cons and eventually okay. down the road the situation will be better off. All right, I have to stop you, Jeff, because uh, we've actually run over time. Uh, but before we go, just very briefly, in a, a few seconds, uh, maybe you'd uh, all lay out uh, your stall uh, in just uh, 30 seconds. Uh, we'll go around the table, Declan Parafinafal. Yeah, no, just, uh, uh, Michael, I've got a proven track record. Um, I'm, a, I'm a can-do attitude worker um, and uh, no stone has ever left unturned at me. But um, I think it's time that there's a bit of a shake-up there and I'm willing to shake the leaves in the tree if, uh, if uh, lucky enough to be elected on, on May 24th. OK, Michelle Hall, why yeah. number one for you? <laughs> well, I'm a, a Drogheda woman living in a rural area, so I know most of the areas and I work with children with um, of all different nationalities and special education needs. So I think I'd be a voice for families, disabilities, and I look for full participation <coughs> in society, whether that's wheelchair-accessible buses, okay. footpaths, etc. Okay. So I'm full of energy and uh, willing and able to work for the people of Drogheda. Eamon Sweeney, why should people vote for you? Yeah, well, Michael, as you know, I, I've worked here for many years in LMFM, so many of the listeners will have, will have heard my voice already. Uh, I, I live locally, I, I born and reared locally. Um, I, I'm serving Peace Commissioner, so I, I'm, I'm in the community, I'm dealing with people in the community. I, I work with St. Vincent de Paul, and I'm involved with various different organisations locally, and uh, I think I will bang the drum for my community. Okay, Jeff Rudd. I founded United People in 2015. And since then, I've been representing the Dáil people. And I've done this in the Dáil, I've done it in the Rockdis, I've done it on national television and radio already. I hope to continue doing that. And with the power of being elected a councillor, I will afford to have the power to instigate certain programmes and for to delve deeper into local and national issues, a lot of them which are interconnected. I hope to be able to do that. OK, thank you to each of you for coming in to us today. Declan Power, candidate for Fianna Fáil, Michelle Hall, who's contesting on behalf of Labour. Eamon Sweeney is uh, the Renewal candidate and Jeff Rudd, the United People's Party candidate. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Paddy was in touch. He says he would have his doubts that the gunman in the shooting at Hardman's Gardens was a professional marksman of any description. Surely if he was a professional involved and the victim would have had very little chance of survival professionals don't tend to miss. Paddy says what we're seeing on the streets of Drogheda is thugs with access to guns who have no idea how to use them which makes them 10 times more dangerous in his opinion. Okay. Anne says she's sick and tired of hearing people criticise the Gardaí over the feud in Drogheda. From what she can see, they are doing their best they can with the resources at their disposal. She was driving round town on Sunday evening, saw several squad cars in different areas, but at the end of the day, it's up to the Minister and the Government to make more money available to the area and to deploy more Gardaí to mm. the town. These thugs are armed to the hilt and we're expecting Gardaí to tackle them with batons and pepper spray. She heard Derek O'Donoghue say this morning that only armed Gardaí have bulletproof vests. The rest have stab 
vests. How is a Garda supposed to survive a standoff with these people without the proper equipment to keep them safe? We ask the Garda to protect us on a daily basis so we should be doing more to make sure that they are better equipped to do their jobs to keep themselves safe at the same time. Yeah, very interesting and very strong thoughts uh, from uh, people. Uh, of course, uh, the Minister said in December there would be no shortage of resources available to Garda locally because of the ongoing feud. Then when those resources were withdrawn, he said it was an operational <laughs> issue uh, and now the resources seem to be back in place uh, and uh, the Garda Representative Association will undoubtedly be asking uh, the Minister to make further comment later today. Mary says we need action from our politicians, not words. Go to the Taoiseach and demand more resources and Garda for the town. The people you represent are living in fear and we want to feel safe in our town again. Do what you need to do to make that happen. Well, I think people will send a very strong message to the Minister on Saturday just to remind people that demonstration is taking place at four o'clock on Saturday in West Street on Drogheda. Uh, Matthew in Drogheda says the only way to stop these thugs in Drogheda is more Gardaí and money for overtime as the superintendent has asked for. And more important, importantly, CAB needs to get involved to seize assets. Hit them where it hurts in their pockets. Okay. Michelle says when they talk about the need to bring more Gardaí into Drogheda, Michael, I don't think it's the young rookies we need. We need experienced Gardaí who are used to dealing with this sort of crime, who are used to dealing with drug gangs. Sean says, is it not time for the Gardaí to be armed in cases of emergency situations like this in Drogheda? How can the Gardaí be expected to do what they need to do when they are not armed. I am shocked to hear mm. that they don't have bulletproof vests. Okay, well, the Gardaí are saying it's time for armed units in each of the 28 Garda divisions uh, across uh, the country because of uh, the ongoing feud in Drogheda, the dissidents and the ATMs. But hold that thought for a moment because we're going to hear something different about ATMs now. Women's Aid and AIB teamed up uh, to put together what they call an abusive teller machine. This is an abusive ATM, if you like. To all intents and purposes, in a shopping mall, this was an ordinary, everyday ATM. But... In reality, it was something different. Why do you need more money, this machine asked. Is it for the weekly shop? Is it to pay bills? Or to buy petrol? Or for other essentials? Or you had another option that you could respond to the machine by saying you didn't want to say. I wish they wouldn't ask me all these questions. There aren't too many questions. It's my own business why I want the money. Oh, seriously, is this a joke? Why do I have to answer all these questions? Why are they asking some stupid questions? Why do you want this money? The machine then asked for you to tell the truth. Is it for the weekly shop? Is it to pay bills? Is it to buy petrol? Is it for other essentials? Or is it that you just don't want to say? I got frustrated and I got annoyed and I got more and more and more rage. I felt it was quite intrusive. I didn't understand why I didn't have access to my money. Frustrating. Very frustrating. The machine at the end told me it was 198,000 women are affected. I wasn't aware of the extent of it. The machine then asked for you to tell the truth. Is it for the weekly shop? Is it to pay bills? Is it to buy petrol? Is it for other essentials? Or is it that you just don't want to say? 
Margaret Martin, uh, the Director of Women's Aid, joins us now. Good morning to you, Margaret, and uh, thanks for joining us. Just to explain to us, if it wasn't clear to people there, why are you asking such stupid questions? Well, uh, what we, what we ourselves and, and AIB are doing is really highlighting that um, financial abuse is very prevalent. In fact, there was research that was done in 2005 in Ireland that shows that where an abusive partner controls financial decisions, women are seven times more likely to experience all forms of domestic abuse. Uh, and and the abusive partner yeah. is a little bit like the machine. It has control of the purse strings. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. And the reality is without money, if somebody's controlling your money and um, your options are going to shrink very considerably, you've no place to go. You've no means to get there. You've no control over your funds. You know, so some women we'd be dealing with uh, suffer very extreme financial abuse. It, you know, it's like all forms of abuse. There's a, there's a range of, of from very severe to, to less intrusive. And sometimes that grows. But I think it's, it's very concerning because of the impact, because if you're in an abusive situation and you want to leave, it's much more difficult if you have to make a choice between, you know, if you have your own financial independence. But if you're in a relationship where there's been a lot of tactics used to make you financially dependent, it's far more difficult and you can become very trapped. So if you have to get permission uh, to get money to pay the ESB bill, it's going to yeah. be all the more... You've lost your independence, uh, in other words. You've lost your independence. And we'd also hear a lot from women who are prevented from working. I mean, that could be quite subtle, you know, um, and sometimes it can be very obvious. We've heard from women, for example, who've been, you know, they get, a job, they get an interview for a job and their partner locks them in the house or in the room or takes away the keys or makes sure they're late or, you know, messes up their opportunity. So it's, it's that thing of any kind of independence, particularly financial independence, because it's so important. I mean, if for some reason any of us were to lose it, if you lose your, you know, yeah. your credit cards and all of that, or they're stolen, suddenly you're kind of going, so what do I do? How do I get this? Now, there are means to be able to do that. But I think it's really good to have a bank on board in relation to this and to, to start dealing with these issues. And we also hear from a lot of women who they wouldn't have even known that their partners have run up a lot of debts. So one of the things the bank is able to do is if you have joint accounts, if you have, you know, you can go into a bank, anyone can go into a bank and find out what accounts are in your name. Mm. You don't need the permission of if there's a joint account of the other party who's part of that joint account to at least find out exactly what your financial situation is. And sometimes women, it's only in the later stages when they've left or when he's left that they discover that there's a huge amount of debts that, that have been run up. Maybe even the house has been sold over her head or property has been sold over their head or there, you know, all sorts of different things. So it's, it can be useful just if you have any concerns, obviously to ring us, but also just to do that kind of financial check and make sure that things, you know, to, that you know exactly yeah. what the situation is. I'm going to give your number if people do want to ring you in a second. But you could hear the response of people who went to use that ATM machine in yeah. the Dundrum shopping centre. And they were like, well, 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 sure, it's none of your exactly. business what I want to use yeah. my money for. But that's yeah. the whole point, isn't it? That you're yeah, under exactly. somebody else's control and that they're yeah. in control of you. And they're, and they're asking very intrusive questions. You know, that thing I've talked to you about that before, Michael, because you're a really good supporter of, of all of our work, but about having to account for every penny that's spent and how in particular going through the, you know, the till receipts line by line and things that she's spending, if she's spending stuff on her, if she needs personal items that, you know, there's, there's a big deal about all of that. And it's the accumulation of that. The other thing is that, that something like financial abuse, it can 
be the only form of abuse, but it would rarely be the only form of abuse. So usually there's going to be um, emotional abuse and emotional abuse is what women talk to us most about. Mm. So this abuse can be in the context of other abuses that are happening. Okay. Well, if people do wish to speak to you, there's a 24-hour national free phone helpline and that's 1-800-341-900. That's uh, the Women's Aid free phone helpline, 1-800-341-900. Margaret, thank you as always for joining us. Thank Thank you indeed. Margaret Martin is uh, the Director of Women's Aid. Now let's uh, very briefly go back to some more of your comments. Okay, John and Navin phoned in and he says in relation to the crime feud in Drogheda, I'd like Michael Reid to try and find out where he thinks the extra guardy are going to come from to be brought into Drogheda. Every town and every village is looking for extra guardy between drugs and antisocial behaviour. He points out that Templemore was closed for a number of years which meant that no guardy were being trained or coming out at that period of time. So the guardy coming out at the now are just filling the positions of those who have retired. So there's no huge additional guardy available mm. to try and, you know, to, to facilitate the need in many towns is the okay. point he's making. All right. Well, no doubt we'll be hearing more uh, about some of uh, these issues because we'll be hearing from the guards in a moment. Uh, but we leave it there for the moment. Uh, and thanks uh, to everybody who has been in touch. And to, thanks for that matter, Marie, for bringing us uh, those calls and comments this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda you're investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Rodney Hodgkinson of Laytown Garda Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin in Drogheda and a shooting that took place in the town. Yes, Michael. Uh, as everyone knows, last Thursday, the 25th of April, as about 20 past four, there was a shooting at Hardman's Gardens in Drogheda. In relation to this, the Guardia Drogheda are still trying to uh, locate a blue taxi, a saloon-type car, uh, similar in size to a Toyota Avensis or a Hyundai i40. So if that taxi driver uh, could make himself um, known to the Guardia, we would assist in the investigation. Um, anyone who was present at the time or may have dash cams... Um, the car used in the shooting, uh, this red Volkswagen Golf, was stolen approximately a week before us. Um, does anyone know where it was parked up? Did anyone see anybody change the number plates on it? And it was subsequently burnt out then at Sheep House. So did anyone see the car being set on fire? Or anybody in that area picking um, someone up from the car? OK, plenty of fires, plenty of petrol bombs to report on next. Yes, Michael, we'll just run through them. We've lost... Um, mm. In the early hours of Tuesday morning, the 23rd, between 1 and 1.20, we had a uh, fire, a petrol bomb at Lawrence's Park in Drada. On Saturday the 27th, um, at about 3.45, at Springfield Court. On Saturday the 27th, uh, 20, 20 minutes past midnight, uh, Ashley Heights. On Sunday the 28th, uh, quarter past 12 at night at Lawrence's Park and on Sunday the 28th again between 1 and about half 1 at um, Scarlet Crescent and the last one then is in Lockboy on Sunday the 28th of the 4th at about 4am we, we, we would ask anybody who was in the vicinity of these areas at, at the, on and about on and around these times who may have any evidence, any information to give the Gardaí to contact the Gardaí um, we do realise that people may be afraid to come forward to the Gardaí, um, 
we can assure them that any information provided will be treated with confidence. And if members or if members of the public want to go to a Garda station other than Drogheda or the Garda confidential telephone line as 1800-666-1. OK, to some other incidents uh, that have uh, occurred across uh, the region, an aggravated burglary to report on in Blackrock. Yes, Michael. Um, on Tuesday evening last the 23rd, at about five past days, a, uh, an elderly couple were in their home at uh, Black Rock, Rock Road in Black Rock. Uh, two males um, entered the house. Uh, they carried uh, weapons, including a knife, a hammer, and a hatchet. They um, locked the elderly occupants of the house in a um, upstairs bedroom and tied up the suspects. So we would appeal to anyone who was in the area at about eight o'clock last uh, Tuesday evening, twenty third. Plus, um, Michael, um, a brown Fiesta motor car, 131LH457, was taken in the course of this burglary and was located a short time later at Seafield Road in Black Rock, a short distance from the cri- scene of the crime. Again, people may have seen the car being abandoned there. Mm. So it's the uh, guardian on dock, please, Michael. OK, and uh, undoubtedly uh, we'll hear more uh, uh, on uh, these incidents in time to come. But as you say, if people do want uh, to come forward confidentially, there is a, a special confidential number that uh, we'll give at the end of uh, the report. Uh, our next report is from Dundalk. Yes, uh, another aggravated uh, burglary, Michael. Uh, Alphonsus Road, Dundalk, on Thursday evening last, uh, between 10 to 5 in the afternoon and 20 past 5, uh, Two males uh, entered the house where there was an elderly female. Um, they locked her in a room in the house and she was only released on the return of her husband approximately two hours later. Again, um, did anybody see anybody hanging around the house before they entered? Um, so that's Alphonsus Road and Dock uh, last uh, Thursday and it's the Guardian on Dock. Uh, another uh, obscene burglary. Uh, we conclude with uh, another burglary. Uh, this uh, happened in uh, the Drogheda area. Um, yes, Sir Michael asked about um, between 1 o'clock and 2pm. A female a house was entered at Deep Ford on the Dublin Road in Drogheda. Um, she was tied up by two male uh, culprits. Um, <coughs> she was thankfully unharmed. Um, from our inquiries, Michael, we are um, aware that the culprits walked for a distance on the Dublin Road towards um, the scene of the crime at the Ford. Um, at the present, there are roadworks um, with temporary traffic lights there, so we would ask any motorists uh, who were travelling on that stretch of road between approximately um, half twelve and half two, particularly between half twelve and half and one o'clock we were aware the culprits walked from Drogheda towards the scene and then we were aware between 2 and 2.30 they walked back towards Drogheda um, they're described as um, one was wearing a black hat a grey puff jacket with a hood and a grey tracksuit legs black runners and he had a bag hanging around his neck which may have caught somebody's attention to the front uh, the second male was taller and he had navy added his tracksuit and tops and a light blue um, stripe around the middle, and navy tracksuit legs with grey runners. So that's on the Dublin Road. Anyone in Deep Ford, um, we have done house to house there, and we've received very valuable assistance um, who we didn't speak to and may have something to offer with the contact of Guardian at Laytown. And Michael, just before finishing on this incident, yep. um, 
I just want to assure listeners in Deep Ford that there was a foreign national male conducting legitimate business house to house in the area at the time who has assisted the Guardian with our inquiries and is in no way involved in this crime. Okay. I'm sure that was heard loud and clear and uh, obviously very uh, important uh, as well for people locally. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, probably the most serious list of crimes we've had on the I Tuesday report. I could have had several more, Michael, unfortunately. Really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Life goes on, Life despite, goes on. Despite, despite, despite what's... what's, what's yeah, 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 yeah. There's an awful lot of serious yeah. crime happening. OK, thank you indeed. Sergeant Rodney Hodgkinson of Laytown Garda Station. As I said, uh, we would repeat uh, the Garda Confidential line. That's one eight hundred treble six treble one if you want to come forward with any information on a confidential basis to the Garda. And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday programme. That's where we have to leave you for today because our time has run out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Murray in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts Brought to you with Cark McCross Credit Union Where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality With a Cark McCross Credit Union holiday loan O'Neill Street, Cark McCross Or karkmacrosscu.ie Botox Cosmetic Atabotulinum Toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years So, talk to your specialist To see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.